Awesome. Well, let's look at some more Genesis. Hopefully you're enjoying it. And, uh, yeah, if not, got a long way to go. So. <laughs> so just before we read the text, I just want to remind you of, you know, we touched on this last week. Uh, and, uh, you know, Genesis is one of those texts of the Bible that has been used and abused uh, and, you know, probably had so much baggage piled on top of it that we often don't see really the plain meaning uh, that, that, that is, you know, that is there. And, and I read, read a book recently uh, by this guy Walton. And he talks about, you know, kind of, kind of trying to rediscover those original, you know, concepts that are embedded in the text. Uh, what would uh, a people, you know, like Moses's people uh, who had spent a significant amount of time in Egypt uh, and has been heavily influenced by a lot of their thoughts and their ideas, uh, you know, what, what, how would they have understood a lot of these things? And it's, it's not... As we, as we touched on, a, a scientific manual of origins. As much as we may would like to have it be that, it's not that. Uh, and, and Walter makes an illustration in, in, a, uh, in, in his book a little bit, but also in a podcast uh, that, that he does. And he talks about, like, maybe we should see Genesis more like uh, if you arrive at, at a play or, or at a movie late and you ask somebody, what's happening? You would not feel like, oh, thanks so much, if the person proceeded to tell you, well, casting for these various roles began about three to four years ago. Uh, they selected this person versus this person for this various reason. You know, the stage was manufactured in this city using this type of timber. I mean, it's just, that's not really what, what your, your question of, of what is happening is like, well, what's going on here in the play? How, how have the characters arrived at the point they are? How has the plot developed? How is the story flowing? Not necessarily where it all came from, right? Though we do believe God is the source for all those things, but that's not really the question that would have plagued the people of Moses' time. Right? We've got to be careful that we don't read onto the text our modern ideas and our modern questions that, you know, like we touched on, it could be very wrong. Right? We could be asking the wrong questions. And as we go through Genesis especially, I'll you know, try to point out that, uh, that, that common thing, right? Uh, but we got to understand that even that insistence that Genesis must be understood from a scientific perspective, you know, it's misguided uh, and it's also ironic, right? It's misguided because, like, we, like I just said, it's, it's an arrogant attempt to try to define the agenda and make God answer our questions. When, when, when maybe our questions are the wrong questions and maybe we should let God dictate the narrative and we should let God write the story and, and we learn from him rather than demanding he answers our questions. Right? Now, it's also ironic because when we begin to try to force the, the, the Genesis to answer scientific questions of our time, because scientific questions constantly do change, we, we are actually adopting the very viewpoint we're trying to correct. Right? And we're, we're, kind of, we're trying to get Genesis to, to, you know, to rebuff uh, maybe our, 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 our atheistic scientific friends uh, but we're doing that by, by taking scientific concepts and then trying to apply them to, a, to, to Genesis. So we're not, we're not actually accomplishing what we're even setting out to accomplish, right? And one of the big questions that, that, that we'll continually wrestle with, especially for the first 11 chapters of Genesis, is what is this story about? Why, why is it being portrayed this way? Why is it being structured the way it is? What, what is the point that God is trying to say, hey, pay attention to this, consider this, right? Think about this, right? That's the question that we're trying to see. We're trying to see it with that framework 
uh, of, uh, of how God wants us to see it. Amen? Of a prayer, and then let's, uh, we'll read again the first two chapters, and we'll look a little bit more in depth, Adam, because uh, last week was really introduction. Amen? Awesome. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, uh, you know, we, do, we do ask you to help us, God. We do come so often with so many you know, agendas and ideas and you know, even our own blinders, God. We pray you help us, God. Help us to see your, your, your scriptures with fresh eyes. Help us to, to, you know, allow, you know, to have the humility to allow you to guide us, God. To allow your spirit to prompt us and help us to understand, you know, kind of some of the deeper questions of, you know, not, not necessarily, you know, how you've created everything, but why? And what are those implications for our lives? And, you know, how, how is our relationship with you and with one another? How is that defined? How does that flourish, God? And we pray you help us, God. Help us to understand the, the, these ideas with greater depth. Uh, and meaning, and God, may, may they incorporate into our lives, God. May you, you know, your, your spirit open up the eyes of our hearts, God, and help us to see ourselves with that great, you know, humble soberness, God, uh, and to see the various ways that, that yet your word changes our perspective and shapes our actions and even our own uh, affections, God. Help us in all this pursuit. Pour, pour our grace and mercy and forgiveness on us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Let's, let's read here. We'll, we'll, read a whole, we'll read a whole bit, okay? Uh, so we touched on a lot of chapter one last week. We'll, we'll read a, a, a bit of chapter two today. Uh, and then in two weeks after, after Mike Howell preaches next week, we'll, we'll, we'll again take two and kind of begin to go into three. So it'll be some overlap along the way. Amen? Let's read here. Verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and he gathered the waters he called seed. See, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. Greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and it was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and the seas. Let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, 
the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild, wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that he may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. But the Lord God formed a man from the dust of ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food, in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river water in the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Haval, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are there, are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man named each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they became one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. All right? Obviously, phenomenal passage, right? And I read it in its entirety, uh, you know, for, 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 you know, kind of a very brief introductory point, and that's to help us again be reminded that we need to be cautious of how we approach it. All right? Right there in the beginning, you get, in some sense, two accounts. 
us. If we're dead set on trying to make it say what we want to say, we'll, we'll, we'll write off without explanation, without you know, some grand uh, reason why God is, is, is giving us, in some sense, two, two pictures, right? Uh, and it's intentional, right? Because, you know, as you can see, they're, they're structured very different, right? If you look here, and there's, I know there's a lot in the slide. You can take a second and, and, and have, a, have a glance. Chapter one is clearly highly poetic. Right? I'm not a big poetry guy. Uh, don't read poetry. Probably should write my wife poetry, but I don't. I don't do that either. Um, you know, some of you are more talented in an idea. You know, but I can. I can at least appreciate some of the poetic techniques that are here. Right? There's lots of repetition. There's a clear, overarching structure. Right? Uh, that, that there is. You know, obviously the repetitiveness of and God said, 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 throughout all all six days. Right? Uh, that there are, you know, um, elements, you know, as God begins to create, there, there's already elements present, right? The earth was formless, right? Uh, you know, waters, you know, the abyss covered the earth. Uh, and what does God do? He takes, uh, you know, essentially elements and he begins to make order, right? But not arbitrary order, order that, that, that enables mankind to function, and to live and to survive, Right? Uh, a lot of people get caught up on, you know, are, there, are, are the, the seven days of creation literal seven days of creation? Well, I mean, the fact that there is no sun by which we determine day till day four, that probably tells us it's not. Right? But because it's poetry, right? And, and, and what's the overarching point? Uh, is all these things that, that are completely necessary and on which people, us, are dependent on, is all coming from God. Not just as the source, like we talked about last week. I mean, that's great evidence, right? We can look at creation and see, man, it's awesome, it's beautiful, it's complex. Uh, there must be a designer, simply by the elements, right? But, but the, when you begin to add functionality to it, that's like a bigger thing to step back and kind of be awestruck by, right? It's not just that it exists, but it exists in a way that is, is, is functionally very good. That's why he keeps saying it's good over and over. Uh, it works. Uh, it's work. It works. I, I could, you know, attempt to build a car. Uh, but I, I have no idea what I'm doing. It's not going to work. You can give me all the necessary parts and even the tools, and I would try to assemble it, but it, it will not function. And so you're not going to arrive at that scene and say, it's good. Right? That's why whenever anything goes wrong with a car or a car makes a weird noise, I call Jack. Right? I ask him, you know, literally, I sent him a video the other day of one of my kids, my kids' quad bike. You know, what's wrong? Because I, I have no idea. And he's like, the battery's dead, Sam. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, you know. Uh, but you don't look at my work and say, oh, that's good. But God looks at his work of creation and sees it's good. And, and, and that's an emphasis on the functionality of it. All right? Uh, and we, we got to see that. And, there, you know, there's... Lots of different theories, you know, I don't know, I, you know, you, you can see that, that on day one as God, you know, separates light and darkness, that he's creating time. Right? There's an orderness to that, that, that sequence, right? Uh, you know, some, some commentators look at this, the separation again, the Jewish people of, of Moses' time as he writes this, had this idea that there was a dome, a firmament over creation, 
Uh, and a lot of people have written entire books trying to explain the, the scientific logistics of it. I don't think that's, I don't think that's his point. His point is, hey, God is, you know, he has set in order the control of waters. Which in the ancient world, man, that was super important. Water that was out of control, that brought chaos to your life. Right? Whether it's coming from above or whether it's coming from below, it brings chaos. And it will, it will happen that in this story in Genesis 6 when we get there. Kind of a reversal of that order, that consistency, that reliability that, that God is trying to show us here uh, in the account. Right? Uh, the, the, the land, you know, plants growing, that cycle of, of plants growing, producing uh, leaves and growing to maturity, producing seeds and therefore producing more plants. That, that's, that's their food source. Right? And so you see in the first half, days one, two, and three, it's all about order, bringing order to creation. Right? And then the second half, days four, five, and six, are all about filling that which has been made in order. Right? So day one and day four correspond to one another. Right? Day two and day five, they correspond to each other. Right? Day six and day three, they correspond to each other. Right? Uh, and, and it's this uh, overarching theme that continues to hit us of of God and creating, what is he doing? He's making order, and he is filling it. He's making it a clear, reliable structure, and then within that structure, he's creating more so that life flourishes. Right? Then we get, you know, you get to, to day six, and day six is, you know, uh, you know, it's a little bit different than some of the other days, right? There's a progression. Uh, look, look closer, verse 26. Right? There's some subtle contrast between what happens on day six versus what happens on other days. Right? Uh, there is, uh, on the previous days, it's let there be. And then it comes, right? Let there be. And then and the, the land produces plants. Right? But on day six, as we touched on a little bit last week, it's let us make mankind in our image. Right? Something different. Right? Previously, each, each filling aspect of creation is according to its kind. Right? So there's a, a, a self-replicating aspect within creation, but not so with mankind. We're created in the image of our creator. Right? Uh, on all the creation of all the other animals, whether it's fish in the sea, birds in the sky, you know, animals on land, there's no mention of gender. But for mankind, that's, that's, God emphasizes that. Right? Again, if we overly press Genesis 1 literally, does that mean there's no gender in animals? No, right? Again, but God has a point that he's driving home uh, about functionality and order, right? And then, of course, if, you, if you're reading closely, you see there with day six, what's added that's, that's not added. You know, the other animals are, are, are told to be fruitful, increase, and to multiply, right? But mankind is given dominion, authority, to rule. Right? Again, that's, that's, that's different, right? We're, we're special, Right? We're special. You know, we touched on an idea last week, even a man, what that means that you are created. I am created in the image of God. That's tremendously good news. Uh, and, and we did. We talk, talk, talked about that topic. We won't dig deeper into it. But there's even more. I mean, you think about what we read in, in chapter 2. There in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I mean, think about what... what you know, God is, 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 you know, showing us there. I mean, there is an element of us that, that should prompt humility, right? Where are we from? Dirt. <laughs> Nothing really magically special about that, 
right? Just like the rest of creation, we're, we're, we are that, uh, you know, formless, unproductive lump of dirt. But there's something else very special there. That that spirit of God that was hovering over the waters, right? The untapped potential of the abyss, man, that is breathed into that dirt. So there's a two sides to us, right? I mean, we should have we should have humility because we are created. But man, there's a divine spark that's not present in other aspects of creation, right? And that would be good news. I mean, this idea that 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 every person, in some sense, is a a flashpoint between creator and 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 creation that we have, unlike everything else, a little bit of both. And that's why we have this viewpoint in modern, you know, our modern world. Of, you know what? You're important. Your life is important. Someone can't just come in and take your life because, because there is something different about you. There is something unique and special. Uh, and that's why the, 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 the even, again, the poetry of it was good. God saw that it was good. It's, it's upped. It's very good. Right? And, and a lot of times, again, this is where we... We do Genesis, you know, disjustice. If we look at that, we're like, oh, yeah. We kind of like that creation account, right? I mean, it seems like we're the focal point. It seems like we're the, man, the climax of the story. There it is, day six, it's us. Yeah, very good. Not like the trees, right? Well, we're very good, right? But, but maybe, maybe we shouldn't disregard day seven, right? Day seven is structured differently. Very differently, as you see. You know, the seventh day, as even says, literally is set apart. Not only by the structure, right, but by the changing of how he, how, how he describes it. God doesn't speak the seventh day in existence. There's no work he does of creating. As we'll touch on a little more here in a second, there, there is no evening and morning. There's no end to it, really. You know, day seven... Uh, you know, seventh, it's the seventh day, obviously. You know, I, I would argue it's probably even the goal of creation. Seven is woven to every aspect of the first chapter. You know, if you look at the first verse, the first, you know, sentence there in, in Hebrew, there's seven words in that sentence. The statements that talk about the seventh day, right, there in chapter two, uh, verses uh, two and three, they're structured as three lines of seven words. Seven, seven. I mean, again, if you've been coming to midweek, we, 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 as we go through Revelation, we see, man, that's it's an important number. Right? And, and now here, within the seventh day, we're, we, we, we're, we're getting hit over this repetitive reminder of the importance of seven. And then within that seventh day framework, we're reminded three times that God didn't work and instead he rested. Right? Now, that would rest. Probably need to again step back because we hear rest and what do we think? Sunday afternoon nap time. Right? Some of you are already creeping into that, right? Sunday afternoon nap. And we just think that, like the absence of work, right? Uh, you know, and, and we got to be careful because, again, in the ancient world, that's not what they thought. They didn't hear the word rest and think, oh, nap time, me time, video game time, Netflix. They didn't think that. Right? Not just because they didn't have Netflix, right? You know, but but for them it was it was it was potentially one of the keys to understanding what what what, what God's even talking about with this entire poetic structure. For them, gods, again, pluralistic 
society back then, gods rest in their temple. Gods rest in their temple. So you have this poetic structure of six days of God creating and making, and then a change in structure where we're hit over the head three times. This idea, what is God now doing? He is resting in his temple, which is creation. And the role of the temple in the ancient world is not a place for people to gather and sing songs like like we typically understand. It's a place for, for, for the God to have a sacred space. It's his home, even more so probably his headquarters or the control room. When the deity rests in the temple, it means he is taking command, that he's mounting his, his throne to assume his proper place of authority. And then again, you may think, okay, that sounds good, but what, what, what does that mean? Well, again, this idea of what, 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 where is day seven different than the previous six days? Previous six days all end with, and there's evening, and there is morning. There is no end to day seven, which again should probably give us a hint. Don't take them literally because we're, we're living seventh day still. And what does it mean? Well, well, our creator is still, he is still reigning. He's present in his creation. He's not far off and distant. He's not removed from it, right? He, he is settled in to reign. And how is he going to reign? How is he going to exercise his authority? Through us. Genesis 1 and 2, again, is making this you know, bold, bold claim that is, again, very different than the cultures around them at the times. The only, the only people that had power and authority were the literal kings. Not men and women, each in and of themselves, inherently having value and being God's vice regents, his, his governors of, of exercising his authority and tasked with great purpose and meaning in life. But Genesis is saying that that is what it is all about. Right? This idea that man, creation is good. But it's good. And, and, and God is not detached from it. He is not removed from it. He, he continues to reign. Right? We'll, we'll touch on how he does that here in a, in, in a bit. But man, he is present in it. You know, and again, we were talking about this at, at midweek on, on Wednesday, and, and Matt Walwick asked the question, you know, because you read Revelation and you see there's a, there, there's a physicalness of the new heaven, the new earth, that is different than how we view heaven, right? We hear heaven and we think clouds, spiritual ghosts, harps, right? We don't think flesh and blood, but the Bible actually pushes back against that a fair bit. And Matt asks the question, like, where, where does that come from? Where, where, okay, well... Uh, there's obviously a fair bit in the Bible that pushes against that idea that heaven is just some spiritual realm completely devoid of physicality, right? Well, where does it come from? Well, a lot of it is ancient thought. And a lot of ancient thought, you know, had this idea of the separation between the spiritual and the physical, right? The Greeks had the idea that the body uh, is like a temporary prison for the immortal soul, right? The ancients of, of, of Moses' time, many of them thought Right? That they would, you know, try to opt out of this world in the hope of somehow getting closer to God. Right? We've got to understand that, that Greek thought and that, that ancient uh, Near Eastern, you know, religious thought of, of the detachment of the spiritual from the physical. Man, that's not Judeo-Christian viewpoint. And if we adopt that viewpoint, instead of really seeing, well, hold on, 
Genesis is going to great lengths to make the focal point of the story, God resting on his throne and that of creation. Why? Again, it's not, he's not going to be found beyond it, though he is seen through what he has made, Romans 1, right? He is not, God is not creation. That's pantheism, right? It's not that idea. Uh, it's not creation can exist without God. That's atheism. Right? It's this idea that, that creation is good and God wants to dwell with mankind and allow those principles of creation, the ordering and the filling, to be done alongside us, with us, not independent of us. He has begun a pattern and in some sense entrusts that pattern onto us, which again is tremendous news for us because it gives us purpose. It gives us meaning. It helps us to see it's not your, your, your purpose in life. It's not just some blind happen chance uh, bump along until you're gone. No, no, no. You, you have a task. There's a creative purpose. You are designed for a reason. Uh, and, and, and the separation that we often fall into is not, is not the right path. Amen? And what it goes on to really drive home is this idea, like we touched on, that we are made to do a few things. We are made to rule Right? That to, to exercise dominion, to be God's vice regents, to work and to cultivate together. And together in all senses of together. Right? Not just Adam and Eve, together. Not just that marriage unit, unit, which is, again, for God's viewpoint, extremely important. Extremely important to creation. Embedded there in the first two chapters. But also along with God. Right? Joining alongside God. You know, many times we've read the text, especially into chapter 2 there, and we see God making this garden. This garden in Eden that in some senses is a blueprint for Adam and Eve to then replicate throughout the world, to join in his work of bringing about that order and that fruitfulness. But one of the other major themes that's introduced there in chapter 2 of, of, of Genesis is that that work will never be accomplished if we function purely as individuals. Right? The force, again, poetically, uh, as a literary device of the repetition of good over and over, seven times in the first two chapters, uh, then followed by the, the not good. And chapter two is meant to, again, meant to shock us a bit. Right? That we, you know, yes, there, there's some amazing aspects of being part of God's creation and being, you know, God's vice regents here in this world, uh, you know, but, but, but that doesn't mean we go it alone. It doesn't mean we function just purely as individuals, right? We need to work together. And we get this great text on, on, on you know, not just the creation of Adam, uh, but also of Eve, you know, it's, you know, again, for time's sake, we won't dive deeply into it, but, you know, take, take note of, of, the amount of verses devoted to the creation of Eve in comparison to the amount of verses in creation to Adam. Which again, in the ancient world, that would that, be completely opposite. Right? But again, maybe, maybe God is on to something. Right? And maybe God is trying to push something uh, and help us to recognize a theme. Significant more ink is given to Eve. And what does it say about Eve? Is that she, she will be a suitable helper. She'll be helper in a way that, that no other part of creation can be. She is made like opposite. Right? That God, in his wisdom, 
has created an ordered creation, and for it to fulfill its intent of filling and multiplying and fruitfulness, it needs people that are willing to work together, though they are as opposite as pieces of a puzzle. Right? That's what that word suitable means, like opposite. Right? Different, but still functionally can come together. Right? But differences. And again, we, 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 I mean, this is obvious, hopefully, to you. We live in a world that's all about blurring that distinction. And, and, and again, what we'll see here throughout the, the story of Genesis is as we, as mankind, disregards these governing principles of there's order, and that order has a purpose, and that purpose is fruitfulness and increase, right? Bringing more order, more, you know, more productivity, right? As that, as that is disregarded, creation reverts back to disorder, to chaos, right? And our world, hopefully, will learn that lesson the easy way or the hard way, right? But again, there's, there's purpose behind what he's doing, right? And Adam, of course, as he finds this helper, as he finds this, uh, this suitable, like, opposite helper to, to, to be together with him, he breaks into song. What you think about his song, even? Right? What is this song? This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Uh, that, that, that first verse. You think about what he's celebrating there. He's celebrating that now he has a partner that looks a lot like him. Now, in chapter 1, what are we told about what we are? We're created in the image of God. Right? And so again, right here in the beginning, you already see God working with Adam right, to create this repetition of men, create more image bearers. Right? And as we create more image bearers, right, that we work together in that pursuit with, with one another, Adam and Eve together, right, working towards that task. But again, not independent of God, along with God. Right? And the other significant thing we see there in chapter 2 uh, is, is God's word by which he created. Right, He speaks and it comes into existence. That's the theme of chapter 1. So his word has power. But here in chapter 2, for the first time, we get a command. When you think about the grandness of all of his words in chapter 1, right? God said, let there be light and there's light. That's grand. Right? God said, let the land appear. Lands appear. God comes to, to his vice regents, Adam and Eve. Hey, I got a great command for you. Don't eat from a tree. It seems arbitrary. It seems insignificant. And, and, and maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point. Adam and Eve has this togetherness. As together, create an image of God. They have a task. But that task will never be accomplished. It will never reach its fullest potential, its created intent, if they disregard the commands of God. That word has been spoken to them. On face value, do you think, I mean, okay, what's special about that command? What's the significance of that one tree? And again, this is one of the times where we often ask the wrong questions, right? Sat down with a lot of people, and their question is, why did God create the tree? <laughs> right? Common question, but, but again, wrong question. Wrong question. Maybe a more important question is, wh why in the world do we not listen to God's word? I mean, if God's word is the source of everything we see, if it's by God's word that he's taken the, the unharnessed potential of the elements of creation, and he's created order so that we can exist and flourish, 
And he gives us a very simple command. It's not overly complicated. In a garden of choices, there's one that you can't have. What, what is it about mankind that we can't follow that? And what happens when we disregard a command? What happens to creation? Because even if you think about the, you know, for those who you know the Bible, Genesis 3, what happens when they eat? It's not just their lives that are affected, it's all of creation. Because like the writer of Hebrews says, right, everything is sustained by God's word. We have a special part to play. But kind of like we talked about last week, yeah, that specialness and, man, we should, we should feel, you know, a healthy sense of pride in being image bearers of our creation. But at the same time, we need to have the humility. To understand, yes, we're a special part of creation. Man, we're, we're not the one on the throne. We're not the one who makes the rules. Right? Yes, we get to rule as we follow him. And you could, you could, you could, I think, you know, this is a thought I was thinking about earlier today. I mean, we, we, could, we could sum up mankind's problems as a struggle with that concept of God reigns in creation, right? Our struggles is we try to rule God. It's rebellion, right? We take that privileged position we have in creation and we, take, we try to take it up a higher notch and we disobey, Right? And so we either try to rule God or we try to remove God. And, 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 and both lead to that order and that fruitfulness collapsing. One of the things I, I encourage you to, to, to walk away from is, you know, as you leave here today is you know, to marvel at the beauty of the poetry. And, and to see the privileged position that we have in them. Because it is a privileged position on day six. But, but, but we're not the focal point. The day we often skip, seventh day, is actually, that's, that's the punchline of the joke. That's the, that's, the, that's the climax of the story. This idea that God is not removed, man, he's present. And he's reigning. He hasn't just created and then left it. No, no, he, 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 is, he is present in it. And he wants to work together with us to bring about greater order. But we have a choice to listen and follow that word by which he created or to ignore it. And we could ignore it through rebellion or we can ignore it through trying to remove him through atheism. And if we do so, well, we reap the fruit of that. And that's a disordering of your life and a destroying of our lives and a destroying of the communities that are God designed to flourish and, 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 and to, to multiply. Right? And so I encourage you to think about those things. Again, all of your creator, but also humbled at the responsibility he's laid at our feet. Amen? Let's have a prayer, and then we'll stand and sing one final song. You know, Father, we do thank you, God. You know, as the Psalms often do, as they, they reflect on this text, God. But what, what is man, what is mankind that you are mindful of? God, we are, we are honored at the fact that you created us. At the same time, God, we're, we're humbled by the responsibility that you've laid before us, God. We pray, God, that we can be a people who, 
you know, obviously, uh, you know, allow our, our hearts, our souls, you know, whatever you want to call it, our, our egos, our sense of self, our self-esteem, to find rest in you and you alone, God. And the fact that you've created us, you've designed us, you, you molded us like a potter molding, molding his creation. You breathe life into us. You've created us different than all that is around us, God, but you've entrusted us with great responsibility to continue that pattern of creation in all the world, God. Father, we, we pray that you help us in our endeavor in that pursuit, God. To be a people that listen to your word, God. To have the humility to, to not look at your commands as, 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 as arbitrary, as pointless, as a burden. But to, but to look at them as the words of our creator. As the one, of, if he had not spoken, we would not be. Help us to be a people that, 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 that obey, not, again, not out of burden, not out of some attempt to, to self-justify, God, but rather just out of joy, knowing you are in control and your word sustains all things, God. And as we walk in that pattern, we, we bring that pattern of blessing, of goodness to the world around us, of order, of functionality, God. Help us in these things, God. Help us to see the application into our lives, God. When we're faced with choices this week, to obey you or to obey ourselves, God, give us the motivation to follow you. Give us that humility of soul, God, to choose your will over our own. And in doing that, God, we pray we, we can be a people that are blessed, that find actually liberation in that perfect law that brings freedom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Let's stand together and sing.